0: My name is Alex Del Sordo and I'm with my father, Sam Del Sordo, here at Finish Line Show. Hey, 20 race This is the Rower's Choice Podcast. This is Alex Del Sordo at another Rower's Choice podcast, Zoomcast cast thing. We still haven't figured out a name. I blame CJ. He needs to come up with a name for what we are doing, but I am with um, I'm with, I'm with an, an Olympian. This is our second Olympian of all time. I'm really excited about this one because this is a U.S. Olympian. This is Luke Walton, the uh, Olympian from the 2004 cycle. He is the founder of Rowers Academy, which we'll be talking about in a bit, and also a former executive director of my favorite regatta outside of the Charles, the uh, Crew Classic out in San Diego. So Luke, welcome to the Zoomcast podcast thing with Rower's Choice, man. Thank you for being here. No, thank you very much for having me. And uh, uh, when you say uh, second Olympian of all time, I wouldn't call myself an all-time Olympian. <laughs> uh, you know, as I didn't, I didn't medal. I participated, uh, but uh, better than know, second me. of all time. Second second, second, all, second Olympian that we've ever had on Rower's Choice. So this is a big deal for me, um, especially in that 04 cycle, because there are some guys that, I look up to still today that you trained with, but I want to go back to when you first started rowing. So walk me through your experience from the first stroke you took to that Olympic cycle in 2004. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just to start off, the first stroke I took, I flipped an open water single. Literally, nice. that was the first, very nice. first stroke that, that I ever took. Um, I was hooked in that moment. Uh, it was the San Diego Rowing Club. Uh I it was the summer between my sophomore and junior year. I was burned out from swimming. I was a swimmer beforehand, really just getting tired of seeing the black line, the sometimes blue line on the bottom of the pool, very isolated. And I decided I needed something different. My brother, my younger brother, had been rowing already at the San Diego Rowing Club. And so he suggested that I come down and give it a try. So I went down there, and the coaches gave me a single, pushed me off the sand off the beach there, and with no instruction, just said, "Go for it." And so I did. So I flipped the single and I got right back in, and then they gave me a little instruction. I took a few more strokes, flipped again, fell out, back who, in. Who was, who, was, who was your coach at that point? Like who, who Aaron, was Pollock, Aaron Pollock, Aaron uh, Pollock and Andy Drilling. And Andy was the uh, novice coach, and Aaron was the varsity coach. Aaron rode the leg sled. He rode the coxed pair in the barcelona olympics so um big dude strong dude uh washington guy uh i loved him at first but then i went to cal so you know you know uh the cal washington rivalry comes through sometimes but um i was hooked i was absolutely hooked and and i decided that i was going to choose rowing and i was supposed to be swimming i was doing well in swimming so i went back to the high school coach and and that was one of the harder conversations i've had in my lifetime I, mm-hmm. Walked in and told the coach, Hey, I know you're relying on me in the 200 and 500 freestyle, but I'm going to row this year and wow. I'll never forget it. He simply said, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> you will never amount to anything in rowing. Wow. And that was, that was the first time that anyone had told me, no, not, Hey mom, can I have some more ice cream? And mom says, no, you, you had enough ice cream. It was more along the lines of you're not going to be able to do something that you want. So I went back, spoke with my parents, they asked me how did that make you feel?" And I said, "Ah, oh, you know it makes me angry, it makes me frustrated. And instead of and I credit my parents for this decision because it was a great decision on their part. instead of my parents marching me back down there, and the two of them standing between me and the coach, you know standing in front of me, how dare you speak to my child this way they they totally wrote him off, and that was the end of that. And they just said, okay, well, If this upsets you and angers you, then how are you going to use it? How are you going to use it to move forward? And then we had a really, really uh, straightforward and honest conversation about the fact that, hey, Luke, you're a good student, but athletics is probably going to make the difference. Are you sure you want to switch from swimming to rowing? And I just loved rowing. I just loved it. There was no way I was going to do anything else. So I took the risk and, uh, and I rode. And it turned out to be... Probably. No, not probably. Definitely the best decision I've ever made in my life. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're doing it as a profession. So you, this is what, what years is are, is this happening now? Uh, Oh, this was a long, long time ago. This was, uh, 90 fall of 95. Yeah. Fall of 95. Wow. Summer fall 95. Of 95, fall of 95. Yeah. And you graduated high school in 98. Is that 97 spring of 97. Okay. And then, uh, I was, uh, University of California Berkeley entered the fall of 97. So now, freshman now, year so was 98. So then Gladstone was your coach? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean Cal Bear, I mean and then was was Mike Wallen? Um No, I guess you saw Mike Wallen your senior year. No, Mike was there. He was uh 2 years. Would have been my brother's class 2 years behind me. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. I had good good 2 years with Wallen there and um just a great guy, you know. And and that was the thing is it was a really special time, not only to be coached by Gladstone, um, and to have the privilege to, to be, to learn under Coach Gladstone, but just the type of guys that he brought into the team. He has an amazing ability to choose the right guys that are team players that are self motivated, that are able to check their ego. And so it was a really, really special time to be at Cal, not only because of the coaching that was available, um, and I also had Craig Armacanian as my my freshman coach. So, um, so that was an incredible experience as well. Um, but not just because of the coaches that were available there; it was also the guys. All the all the guys uh, that that came through the program. Uh, I want to point something out because I I, I I I'm a historian of U.S. Rowing. Like I, I'm obsessed <laughs> with it. So you rowed you rowed Resolutes, which I'm building now. So I'm really proud of that. And I think. You didn't lose a race at Cal. Is that, is that accurate? When you were there? That is, I, through, That's insane. How do you not bring that up in, in an interview? Yeah. I mean, come on. Like. We're gonna, I'm going to put a caveat on here because in case any of the guys from Brown in my era uh, are watching this video, um, it's say domestic competition because freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year in domestic competition, yeah, won every heat semifinal and final, that we lined up for. Um, and I say we, because I do have the distinction of making it through all four years without a loss, but, and the boats kind of changed their composition and dynamic through that time. But it's not, a, it's not a something that I would have been able to do on my own, right? I was oh, very for fortunate, time. again, because of the guys that I was around to, to be part of that. And um, I will put the domestic caveat on it, simply because um, in the summer of 2000, Uh, a few of the guys from our varsity were not able to make it overseas to go to Henley because they were training for the Olympics. So uh, we took a, a broken boat. It was not the same varsity. We took it to Henley um, and Brown beat us and, and they beat us pretty soundly. Um, And those guys, uh, very, very honorable guys. I mean, they just, They almost didn't accept the win because we were there with a boat that wasn't the varsity that they raced at the IRA. I mean, they, you know, and then they went on to win the thing and and beat the, you know, if I remember correctly, it was a long time ago. You know, my memories a bit (laughs) scattered now that I'm old. Uh, But they went on to win the ladies' plate and uh, deservedly so. Very very strong crew that year. So um, I just want to be, you know, want to be honest and forthright. You know, I mean, you know, but yeah, in domestic competition in uh, intercollegiate rowing, yes, that is that's accurate. You know, there's there's only a handful of people that could ever say that, right? And yeah, you're right. When I rode at Mainland in 2004, it was the best experience I've ever had in my life. And I don't take credit for all the victories that we had, but I was lucky to be around guys that were pulling 6'10", 6'13 mm-hmm. in high school that, you know, I was in the 6'20s and I was pretty fast, but I had guys that were just hauling my ass down the course at times. So. I appreciate that. Um, and, and, and it's unreal, though, that you were, part, you were lucky enough to be part of a team that was undefeated on domestic soil. I mean, I, yeah. like, there's a couple guys from Washington in the 2010-2014 like, era that could say that. Otherwise there's just not that many. Um, right. Now what about, um, can you think of a funny thing that Gladstone had said to you on the water at any point? Is there something that you just remember him saying that was outrageous? when he was coaching you? Oh man, everybody's looking for Gladstone's story. Everyone's looking for the dirt, you know? Everybody wants to dig up some dirt on this guy, you know? (laughs) There there is no dirt, there is no dirt. You know, the the funny thing is, uh, yes, there is a story. And, you know, at the time when you're young and you think you got it all figured out and you think, you know, you're just this aggressive young man and you're going for it and whatever. uh, I, I distinctly remember that uh, we had a, a day that we were racing in Cox fours and my Cox four was not doing well. And I was frustrated and this, that, and the other thing, we finished one of the pieces and I just reared up and I slapped the gunnel with a super loud sound and Gladstone heard it. And he revved that launch and he came right up, you know, just brought that launch right over there. And he looks at me and he just picks up his bullhorn. And he's like, Luke, quit the hysterionics. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, yet know what this word means, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure when I look it up, it's going to be a problem. And I remember just being so upset in that moment and, you know, whatever. And, you know, you leave the boathouse and you're still that kind of young, you know, I don't need this and I'm not going to take this crap from anybody and I'm going to quit. And blah, blah, you know, but then you kind of go home and you get into this quiet place and you calm down and you think about it. And you're like, yeah, coach is right. Yeah, which oh, is right. I'm, I'm, I'm over the top. I'm I'm being a little bit of a prima donna right now. I need to I need to walk this back. I need to calm down. And I, I think Gladstone has an incredible ability to help young men navigate their ego and their um, it, you know any sense of entitlement they may have. Um, Gladstone is incredible in his ability to help young men navigate through that and understand how to ego check and understand how to check entitlement at the door. And you're part of a program with Gladstone where you realize that at any time there is mobility in the program. You can move up and you can move down, right? Just because you're in the varsity for this race doesn't mean you'll be in the varsity for the next one. Or just because you're in the JV doesn't mean you can't move into the varsity. And I think that is one of the biggest things that Gladstone does uh, that really brings out the best in all of the crews, uh, that he has is that there's no safety. You have to go out there and earn it every single day. And nobody feels that they're just in a position where, Oh, it's good. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. I'm in the varsity and, you know, kind of switch off. So, um, so yeah, I, I do remember that moment and, and a few others where I got myself into trouble. Uh, and at the time, you know, "Ah, it's not my fault and how dare anybody say this about, you know, whatever. But you, you step back and you realize, now, nah, Gladstone's right, and I need to get in line. I need to figure this out. There's, there's a, So we have a lot of coaches that listen to these and watch these, and there is such a valuable lesson in what you just said that I hope people can, to, can take from. And I want to repeat it in my own words that, to, to have you understand that I've, I've heard you. It's the mobility in the program. So a lot of coaches think that they don't need to say it. They don't need to tell their athletes, hey, you've got to earn your seat every day, even though you're in the varsity eight in March, you might not be there in April or May. And that's a really good lesson for coaches to remember to say that to their athletes because there could be a time where, you know, at any given point, an athlete hates that they're in the JV8 and they don't pull as hard or they don't give as much energy because they think they deserve to be somewhere else. I think coaches today need to make sure that the athletes know that difference, that you can lose your seat or you can gain your seat at any point at any during the season. Uh, and And... I wrote down nobody feels comfortable, like you never feel comfortable to be in your seat, you know, you want to obviously be in the varsity, eight, but once you, if you know that you can get there, if you're not there, that's a lot of motivation to keep going, right, and keep trying hard. I love that. Um, and I I, I think athletes know that too, that they can, they can, they can navigate their own position in the team at any point in time. Right. And, and I think, I think coaches and athletes sometimes confuse transparency, right? We're always talking about, you know, certain programs talk about there needs to be more transparency, you know, between what the athletes perceive and what the coach is putting out there. And, and you know, I, I think that word transparency, I think it couples with the idea of mobility that coaches who find themselves in a situation in which their athletes are saying, this doesn't feel very transparent are actually coaches that aren't promoting an environment of mobility either upward or downward um and and so i i was never worried about the transparency you know in terms of of uh, gladstone publishing scores or what he had written down privately in seat racing or any of that stuff um because i knew there was mobility available and and uh consistency was rewarded and inconsistency was if you will punished right i mean if you if you were inconsistent, then you, you couldn't really expect um, to be exactly where you want to be. Everybody wanted to be in the varsity. Everybody thought they had reasons why they should be in the varsity. Um, but it was the consistent performers who were, who were put there. I love that. Now, all right. So you get out of, you get out of Cal and you spend four years training for the Olympics. What, what, what was that experience like for you? Always oh, crazy. It was super bumpy. It was super bumpy, right? Because I I came from this kind of Cinderella story. I'd won every, every race, you know, short of Henley, uh, had won a a gold medal at the under 23 world championships in 1999, won a bronze medal in the, uh, under 23 world championships in 2000. And now it's 2001 and, you know, it's a post-Olympic year. Um, a lot of us who are coming up through the system are the under 23 guys, uh, and, we started that cycle, and I had the privilege in 2001 of making the eight and racing in the eight. And we missed a medal in Lucerne at the World Championships. Um, I was a fifth-year student at Cal. Uh, I, uh <laughs> funny story. I thought I had done everything I needed to do. I'd actually completed all the lower-level requirements, the higher-level requirements, and my major by the first semester of my senior year. And so I went in and I was talking to an advisor and they're like, you're way shy on units. And I was like, well, no, I've I've completed everything I need to do. And they're like, well, uh, you know, and so I asked you what recommended, you know, what, what are your recommendations from here? And they told me take whatever classes you want. So literally for the next year, my super senior year, if you will, um, I took, you know, I took, uh, astronomy. I took, uh, uh, biz, biz ad 10. I took intro to business at Cal, which is amazing. Uh, I took that pass fail while all these freshmen were trying to get into the business program. And I got to say every day, Hey, isn't it great? We're learning business. Isn't this fun? Uh, They hated me. Um, but so anyways, that's, that's a side story. So I trained, uh, predominantly on my own in that year. I, I got to row from time to time with guys and, 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 but mostly, you know, that time was spent on my own. Um, looking back now, I can tell you very honestly, I let it slip a bit. And so, when I came back in the summer of 2002, um, there, I was a problem to to return to the Princeton Training Center uh, less fit than I had entered in 2001 was a problem. Um, and at the time, I didn't really recognize it as a problem. I thought I could fix it and this and that. But all the other guys were getting stronger, and all the other guys were getting faster, and um, it became It became a problem in that I wasn't getting voted anymore with the top guys and I wasn't getting pair partners that were top guys um, and you know it, it was easy at that time to be young and pass the buck no mm-hmm. oh, you know tatey this and tatey that no, no 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 the guy's running a program the guy's running a program, and I showed up less than um, I showed up less than I was the year before, so I shouldn't be rewarded for that and that actually turned into a bit of a spiral and the, and the center wasn't working for me. It just wasn't... Um, it, it really wasn't uh, going the way that, it, that I was hoping. And so I washed out of the Princeton Training Center. I, I remember I, I called Mike in the uh, fall of 2002, winter like winter of 2003. And I said, Mike, this just isn't working. And I don't know what my next move is, but I need to leave the center. And what was that? he agreed. So, so this is interesting. So, 2000 to 2004 was the strongest four years U.S. rowing had, right? Oh, we yeah. Left, we lost the Olympics. We're going after the gold. We won the gold in four So, you're part of this cycle of like uh, pure animals, right? I mean, the guys sure. that were training those four years were the fastest four got four years that we have seen outside of the '97 yeah. and '99, yeah. you know, world championship. So, when you you're you're off and like you said like i just kind of want to get the your your psyche here what was going on so you you were winning everything with gladstone and guys that were olympians and now for the first time in your life you're getting fucking smoked you are getting beat down right what was that two months of so call it november of 2002 to january of 2003 what was going on in your head and how are you either a staying motivated or B what were you saying to yourself every day in preparation for you realizing that you just had to leave like what was those 2 months like yeah i mean in the in the summer of 2002 the the you know the 8 was selected i really wasn't a part of that i didn't make that selection um that was a bit of a devastating blow i wasn't in contention for the straight 4 i made the cox 4 and rode the cox 4 uh in 2002 and that was my first time rowing with Artur tour, uh, Samsonoff, who would become my eventual pair partner. Um, and we, you know, that was a rough summer in Seville and, and that boat didn't, didn't go so well. Um, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't great, but it, it wasn't, wasn't why we were all there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we came back from that and then we started to get right back into fall training and fall rowing. And I was already a little deflated and defeated. I wasn't getting voted with the guys that I was hoping to be voted with, you know, the top echelon guys or even middle of the pack. And and so um it was it was very deflating. It was very frustrating. It was confusing. I mean, there's just you go through a myriad of different emotions and mental states trying to figure out how it's, you know, how to work through it. And it just became apparent that Mike Mike Tady did not see me as someone who is potentially going to help him or more appropriately help the United States do exactly what they did in 2004, which is win that gold medal in the eighth. And that's hard when we're young and we're focused on ourselves, right? Mike was focused on doing a job. Uh, he executed that job. That boat is one of the most amazing boats I've ever witnessed. Seen the guys in that boat were were a special crew. They were they were just they were unreal. And I remember talking to Joey Hansen, and Joey started the camp system with us from you know Oregon State, clawed his way through the under twenty threes, and um, you know worked his way into his first senior boat in two thousand one. Um, and I remember a few days before uh, the rowing even started in Athens, and I remember Joey just matter-of-factly saying, "We're we're going to win this thing." Wow. You know, we're gonna go out and we're gonna win. And and that was the mentality of that boat. And they went out and they did exactly that. They they set their mind to it, they trained for it. They were a just a, a, a special breed of rowers. Um, and that manifested in that gold medal. And, and, you know, you're saying that you were in awe of a lot of these guys. I, I went to that Olympics, I raced in that Olympics and I was in awe of the performance that's that awesome. Those guys have had. Um, and, you know, I'll be the first to tell you, there is a difference between an Olympian and a medalist. And there's a difference even further, another step between a medalist and a gold medalist. Those are all different, different things. And, you know, I, I <laughs> you get asked all the time when people find out, oh, you went to the Olympics, you know, did you win a medal? And my joke is always, oh yeah, they're just handing them out like candy, you know? Like everybody gets a medal. It's like Oprah, you know? You get a medal, and you get a medal. It's like, no, there's there's the privilege of being able to compete at that level. There's the honor of being able to win a medal, and then there's the distinction of being able to take home a gold medal and to be the best of everyone who is the best in their country. So, you know, to be the best in the world really takes something special. So, so yeah, to to take it back 2002, depressing, spiraled, it was tough. I didn't know what I was going to do and it just got to a point where um like a lot of rowers, I kind of bang my head against the wall as long as I possibly can and I, you know, I go down with the Titanic. I mean, it it became a really hopeless situation, you know, like That scene in the Titanic where the captain just calmly walks in and grabs the helm and the icy waters come through—that was me. That was me in Princeton (laughs) in the winter of 2002. If you want to paint a picture, right? So I didn't know what I was going to do. So I told Mike, "I'm out," and he agreed that you know uh, I I needed to go get my head straight. I needed to figure myself out, um, and, and so he he let me go and and. It, it was apparent I wasn't producing. I wasn't going to be considered there. And I was just taking up space, really. That, that's the mm-hmm. honest answer. I was just taking up space, um, at the, at the training center. And so I started driving cross country back to San Diego to see my family. And, uh, in that time, I got a call from Artur, who was living, working and training in Boston. So after, uh, after being in the Cox Sport, he went back to Boston and wasn't part of the, the training center. And he said that he was rowing uh, with uh, Sam Brooks from Harvard and Nick yeah. uh from Penn, um, both of whom I'd rode with. I rode with Sam in the eight two thousand one I rode with Trip in the Cox four in two thousand and two uh, trip went heavyweight for for two thousand and two uh, They were all rowing pairs. they had two ports and one starboard, and it looked like our tour was going to be the odd man out because uh Sam and Trip were moving pretty well together, so he asked if. Uh, I wanted to come back and train with them. I hadn't even gotten to San Diego yet. So I said, look, let me let me take a little bit of time. So it took about a week, 10 days, got grounded. And I thought to myself, this isn't over, you know, and and I'm young. And this is an alternative. What do I have to lose to go out there and just throw with our tour and see how it goes? Uh, We had rode a pair in the summer of 2002 for training. It went well. So I went back and we were completely uncoached. Uh, but we had access to the Harvard boathouse because our tour had graduated from Harvard. And so we took out a pair and we rode. Oh. And we rode with Nick and we rode uh with Sam. And uh we just rode. We just trained and it felt like it was going pretty good. Uh and one day, uh Charlie Butt was out on the river and he just kind of pulled up behind us. And he just watched us row for a while. Whoa. And we got back to the dock and Charlie said, "You know, the long and the short of it is, do, do you guys need and want coaching?" And we said, "Yes." <laughs> you don't <laughs> yes say no to you, that. Charlie, <laughs> yeah. I don't care who you are. You don't say no. We said yes, and that was uh, that was an interesting time to to be able to be there. And and so Artur and I rode the the pair together, and we. We uh, qualified to represent a pair in 2003. We, uh, we went to Worlds. We qualified the pair for the Olympics. So the US had the right to send a pair. We were not guaranteed to be that pair. Uh, and we, you know, we trained. We trained a lot. We trained in Boston. We trained with the lightweight double um, and uh, uh, Tucker and Ruckman. And they qualified and, and they, were, they were headed to the Olympics. Uh, and Henry Newsom and Akhil Abdullah, who uh, oh, qualified know, as well, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. they um, they qualified. And so that was our training group. Charlie and Bill Manning uh, coached those three boats. Um, that was when Bill was the, the freshman coach at Harvard at the time. Mm-hmm. And we had our own little center and all three of those boats went to the Olympics. And we raced against each other and we staggered pieces and you know, based on speed, you know, send the pair off first, and we would get hunted down by the, you know, the lightweights and the heavyweights in the in the doubles. Um, it was a it was a really special time. It was an incredible time to to be a part of that, and we were able to qualify and represent the United States in the Olympics. And uh, you know, we finished eleventh. Um, you know, you you look back, and uh, that's not why we were there, right? Everybody's mission is to get into the final to try to get a medal, and we came close to the final. We were in a semifinal that could have gone, you know, could have seen us getting into the final. We didn't manage it. Um, you know, in the B final, we finished eleventh. And and that concluded uh, you know, my my uh Olympic campaign. Um and it's something I hold special and near and dear. Um I debated for cycle after cycle, should I get back into it? Should I do it? And you kinda that kind of, you know, haunts you from time to time. Should oh, I've gone nice. back in two thousand eight or should I try and, you know and, and I made peace with all that. I think, I think I've had a terrific rowing experience. And what I've done since that time um, has allowed me to stay involved with rowing and to contribute to the community that's given me so much, so many opportunities, so many amazing races and locations and people that I've met. And um, the rowing community is special. It's just, it's different. This, you know, I, I've, so <laughs> CJ knows I have written down so many names. I have a hundred questions to ask you, <laughs> but I, I, we're short on time. So sure. um, I will say Nick Tripashan. So you row with Nick Tripashan. So his younger brother, right? South Jersey, famous guy. The yep. Tripashan family is full of incredible athletes. I watched him do a, a so in lifeguard rowing, right? And like the competitions, Friday, Friday competitions, the South Jersey is the, is the biggest race. I watched him do a mile and a half swim, right? Win the swim, come out of the water, rub his forearms a little bit, strip down and get into a lifeguard boat with uh, Dave Funk and win the doubles race <laughs> the very next, like, within minutes, within minutes. And oh, that's great. the entire crowd on the beach was just like, who is this guy? Like this yeah. is, he's a different level. And Nick Tripp is sitting there and someone yelled, Called his brother, I will not say it on this on this podcast, called him a really bad name. Nick turned around with a balled up fist and said, What'd you say about what you say about my brother? <laughs> I was like, I am, I was for the first time scared of another human being. Like I, like, I didn't know <laughs> what would have happened. I think that's that's awesome. But I want to get into because we, we have ten more minutes here. Sure, but real quick into, that does speak that speaks to Nick's competitive spirit. Oh, that's he's unbelievable. through and through. He's such oh, a competitor. I loved, yeah. love training and racing with that guy he's uh, he's a hell of an athlete and i and his father i mean I remember his father yelling like they call well they call him trip you know I was like trip you got you got this trip and uh you can see that family when they're together just how competitive they are as a group it's it's uh it's like shocking right uh, I didn't have that as a dad I can tell you that <laughs> but, you know. uh, but so you you've had you have two really special things that you've given back to the community one is you were the e d for the crew classic give me kind of like a three or four minute overview of just of being in that position because you were there in some pretty powerful years. The crew classic is now one of the most sought after and, and biggest regattas in the country. Um, it was one of the first to have that jumbotron to show races from start to finish. Like walk me through your experience there for the four or five years that you were there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so year one, I volunteered or oh. I, was volunteered for that matter uh you know i remember being in the beer garden and gosh this would have been like 2014 uh i remember being in the beer garden in 2014 and i remember um the incoming president at the time was going to be chris swan uh harvard grower national team olympian uh and so swanee comes in and and he's like hey you having a good time yeah yeah i'm having a good time great i'm gonna be president next year really want you to help out i was like yeah cool all right you know i thought like you know, I'm going to shake hands and like kiss babies, like at the crew classic, you know, um, not having any idea how big of a beast that regatta is. Right. And, uh, they say, okay, well, we're, we're going to get in touch with you. So, um, so Swanee, I, I meet up with Swanee, um, and the outgoing president, uh, Sean Jenkins, he had been uh, president in that year. Uh, and they sit me down. You want to, you want to volunteer? Yeah, I want to volunteer. You sure you want to volunteer? Yeah, sure. We need you to be the race director. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you need me to do what? And I had, I had no idea what was going on, you know? But Duke Robinson, who, you know, directed that race for decades and absolute legend um, at the San Diego uh, Crew Classic, these were his final years um it uh, involved with the crew classic and i had the honor and the privilege in my first year to shadow duke and to do some of the work and to learn from him um and for anyone who knows duke he he's kind of a quiet you know he he was a, a quiet guy uh very reserved um but you know when he spoke you listened and i, I remember uh, you know, my first crew classic run around with my hair on fire and, and we got to Saturday night and kind of looking out over the finish line and Duke walks up to me and he kind of looks at me and he's like, you'll be fine. He walked away and I was like, did that, did what just happened here? You know? And so after year one, um, I was, you know, I love projects. I love big projects. The crew classic is just that. Um, I wanted to get more involved and so I I took on a role as as uh uh within the Crew Classic and worked into the director of operations position, uh employee of the Crew Classic for a number of years, and and then had the the privilege of serving as the interim ed for, for a year last year and to um and to be in charge of such a special and, and amazing regatta. So um yeah, it was one of those things that you kind of volunteered my way into next thing I know, five years later, like being, you know, in, in, in charge of the operations and, and the, the ins and outs of that, of that race. And so, um, last year was a, it was very, very special year for me. Um, it's very hard for me to see that in, uh, currently with everything that's going on, that the crew classic was canceled, you know? And, and I think, for me, that's one thing, right? As, as someone who lives in San Diego, as as someone who had been involved previously, and now I'm not involved, you know, I'm. I'm Rower Academy is where it's at. 100% of my time is there. Um, but to know that everybody who comes in from the East Coast, everybody who comes in from the Pacific Northwest, everybody who flies in from everywhere, from Texas and Oklahoma, yeah. Tennessee, to know that they don't have the opportunity to come to San Diego, which they only get experience once a year. Um... Is just, I think that was, from what I'm seeing on social media, that's so far been the biggest aha moment for everyone in the United States that like, rowing's canceled. Rowing's literally canceled right now. And, you know, as we were talking about before the interview, good on you guys for jumping on virtual challenges and providing an outlet for human beings who are so community based and organized to right. be able to come back to community. Uh, the boathouses are closed. We're not going out in you know, we're, we're not meeting at the boathouse. We're not doing that. So, um, so good on you guys for doing that. But I, I think, you know, I've gotten a lot of messages this past, you know, this past week, the past couple of days, Hey, we were all supposed to be in the beer garden this past weekend. Like oh. it's really hitting me that, we yeah. didn't like, you know, have a dust up at the, you know, in the master's race and then hit the beer garden, you know, and, and there are certain individuals who are remain, remain nameless. They didn't get to use their signature catchphrase, right? You're sitting in a master's event, you know, maybe it's one of the letter categories or even the club event. You're sitting at the, at the line and he would just all the time. He'd just say very, very loudly. All right, guys, I got 20 good strokes in me. Let me know where you want them. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that stuff, you know, it's, it's not there right now. And I think that's really tough for all of us to be dealing with. Uh, for the interest of time and, and, and yeah. CJ, CJ, we'll will talk about this. This has been one of our favorite interviews so far. Um, just oh, good. talk to me about Rower, Rower's Academy, right? So you yeah, started sure. this thing this year. Like, I want people, when they watch and listen to this, I want them to know, walk away knowing what the heck you, you're you doing and what you've created. So so tell us, what what is what is this thing? Yeah, a- absolutely. So yes, Rower Academy was founded as an entity this year. But for clarity, for over a decade, I've been working with young athletes, high school athletes, men and women that have been young men and women who have been interested in being recruited to in college. And... I've been working with them on the rowing machine predominantly. And uh, before the current situation, they would have their training, they would have their coaching, uh, they would have their teams. But even the best coaches who are dealing with 60, 80, 100 athletes, you can't get the individual attention necessarily that you need as a rower, even in the in the best programs. And all programs are created to move all athletes forward. And so... Where I came in, uh, before now was very supplemental. It was, mm. uh, hey, let's focus on technical issues that you're having. Let's focus on specific workouts that we can do to improve your ERG score. Um, let's talk about the mental hangups you're having. Let's talk about what's going on at rowing and, and providing a safe environment where they could just talk to me about, oh, this is happening and that's happening, and seat racing or this and that. And I can say, <laughs> I've been through it or I've had athletes who have been through it. So, you know, being able to connect with athletes that way. And so, Rower Academy was formally founded once I stepped away from the Crew Classic because I want to work with as many young men and women as possible to help them have the experience that I've had. And I want as many young women and young men as possible to just be involved with rowing. I think I think rowing is an incredible learning tool. It's an incredible vehicle um, where you're in a safe space. And you learn about hardship, you learn about checking your ego, yeah. you learn about uh, how to work with others, you learn about uh, time management, you, you learn all these incredible lessons in high school, which you then refine and improve in college, mm-hmm. which then become absolutely critical when you step out into the quote unquote, real world, and you realize nobody cares. At best, nobody cares about you. At worst, they're actually trying to stop you from achieving the things yeah, that you want to achieve. That's true. And so, rowing provides a, a format in which youth can learn very, very hard lessons in a safe way that they can apply into the real world. Um, and, and I think that that is, is something very special about rowing. If I had my way, and I think you would agree... Uh everybody should row. At least a year. At least a year. Everybody should row. It should be compulsory, uh, you know, it should be mandatory. Um it, so and with your with your athletes, so you said that you want to focus a lot on young women and men. Do do you do a lot of work with the masters level? Because masters is a growing network of, of people right now in our sport. Do you do yeah. a lot of help with them? Yes, I do. So Predominantly, I'm working with youth athletes, but I'm not turning away masters who are motivated. And I, you know, I'm writing training programs. I'm doing coaching uh, with masters athletes uh, right now, doing a lot of virtual coaching. Um, it's no different than what you and I are doing right here, mm-hmm. um, except they set their phone up in a way that I can see them on the rowing machine and they have their earbuds in. So, I mean, for better or worse, I'm like in their head. I'm in their head for the whole hour. And I'm actually finding even greater success in working with athletes, specifically those athletes who are easily distracted. If I'm just in their head while they're on the machine, I mean, that hour is extremely productive. But to answer your question, yeah, working with masters athletes. I've written a lot of masters training programs, especially leading up to a lot of the indoor events uh, that are that are happening. So. Masters do come and find me and I'm happy to to work with masters. Absolutely happy to work with them. You know, it's rare um, that we find someone as obsessed with rowing uh, <laughs> as me and, and some others. Like, you know, all day you breathe, eat and sleep it, right? This is something that you have a passion for. You could probably watch someone erg for... Hours, right? I mean, like that's I do every day. <laughs> every day. <laughs> I literally do every day. Yeah. Right now, especially, I'm watching athletes on the erg for hours. See, hour that's hour. that's incredible. Uh, I, I I appreciate that. That's so. You know it, what? What? Where can some? So we're going to close off this interview here. Where can someone go to to, to find Rowers Academy? What is yeah. like the website where they can find you? The whole bit. Yeah. www.roweracademy.com um it's actually singular not plural. Uh so oh, Rower, so Rower Academy. Academy, Rower Academy. You know, right. I decided to wait the entire interview to make that correction, you know? You've <laughs> been calling it Rowers Academy just oh, to have man. this glorious moment. You're like, "Oh my gosh, I've been doing that for an hour, haven't I?" So, <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm totally teasing, but it's Row if people do need to find me, it's roweracademy.com and all the contact information is there. I'll get, you know, right back to you and and be able to to um, you know, answer any questions people have, and and I just I want to get as much information out there um, and coach as many athletes as possible. I I think um, to your point, I tried to get away from rallying. I tried very hard to get away from rallying. I switched to triathlon. I was a triathlon coach for a long time. Couldn't do it. Couldn't get away. Here I am. I'm right back in it. Right. Can't can't fight certain passions and certain no, things. And so so I'm I'm right back in it. And and. Um, you know, happy to work with anybody who is interested in working with me. Um, I, I think I've had a profound experience, rowing experience. I want to share yeah. that with as many people as possible. I want people to have access to as much of the information that I've retained, you know, rowing for Steve Gladstone, rowing for Charlie Butt, rowing for Tim McLaren, uh, you know, Rob Baker, uh, at Cambridge, rowing for Mike Tatey. Um, you take a little bit from all of these coaches, um, and they're all exceptional coaches. And I'm doing my best to take what I saw as the very best from all of them and to impart that knowledge on all of the athletes that I currently work with. What a way to close out this interview. Luke Walton, this has been awesome. I have had a lot of fun doing this. So I. Oh, Thank you. You're welcome. We name We name our podcast now, and I know the name, and I think CJ wrote this down. Quit the hysteronics. We are going to call this <laughs> damn podcast. <laughs> Quit the Luke Walton, um, thank you for being part of the Rower's Choice um, podcast, Zoomcast, and we'll be doing this more over the coming weeks. And I hope you guys enjoy listening and watching. Thanks for being part of it. Awesome. Thank you very much. This is the Rower's Choice podcast. Rower's Choice is made up of finish line shell repair, Resolute Racing Shells, and Sykes USA.